My name is Joe. I'm the lead pastor of Connection Church. It is good to be with you. If you are a guest this morning, you may not know this, I just returned from a trip overseas, and so this morning we're taking a break from our regular teaching series. At the end of our service, we're going to do baptisms, but today I want to share a message with you called Things I Learned 7,679 Miles from Home. Eight days, six flights, hate flying, two countries, 38 hours on a plane, and there were no snakes. That's one of the best movies ever. Four hotels, a big box of protein bars because the food was not good. One bottle of Pepto-Bismol to prevent anything that could have happened because the food was not good. Sleep deprivation, an amazing view of Mount Everest, and over 15,000 miles round trip. My first trip overseas was far more difficult, eye-opening, heartbreaking, and spiritually renewing than I could have ever imagined. Last Wednesday, I returned from a missions trip to Kathmandu, Nepal, and the tiny Himalayan nation of Bhutan. It was my first time out of the country other than several visits to Canada, which was only about a half hour from where I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Nepal and Bhutan are nothing like Canada, and by the way, I had a new love for Canada when I was away. I actually know the whole Canadian national anthem. I won't sing it, but maybe on a different day. Though I would not consider myself an experienced world traveler or missions expert after one trip, I do have some things I wanted to share with you and I believe God wants me to share with you that I learned as I have had time to reflect on my first trip overseas. Three things that I learned 7,679 miles from home. The first is this. All religions are the same is a really silly thing to say. All religions are the same is a silly thing to say. One of the main things that tourists do in both Nepal and Bhutan is visit religious landmarks. In Kathmandu, we went to one of the largest Buddhist stupas in the world. Stupas are visited by Buddhists who are looking for healing for themselves and their loved ones, solace from sorrows, good fortune, long life, and help for the dying and the dead. Interestingly, the stupa I visited was surrounded by dozens upon dozens of disabled people. The blind and the paralyzed sat begging as tourists, monks, and Nepalis walked in circles seeking divine goodness for themselves as their brothers and sisters sat beleaguered. In Bhutan, we visited one of the largest statues of Buddha in the whole world. That massive golden statue cost $85 million to build, and it overlooks the city of Timpu in Bhutan. So much of Buddhist worship and rituals in Bhutan is for the purpose of scaring away evil spirits. They hang prayer flags, burn incense, and pay monks to perform ceremonies to protect them from demons. The Bhutanese make decisions in order to avoid angering the spirits. Buddhists do not acknowledge a personal creator God. They believe that in order to reach ultimate enlightenment and peace, known as nirvana, they must overcome desire, deny themselves pleasure, and endure suffering. Until nirvana is reached, believers in Buddhism cannot be freed from the continual cycle of death and reincarnation. The founder of Buddhism was a prince from India who lived in 500 B.C., 
He claimed that he had grasped the self-knowledge necessary to break free from the reincarnation cycle and that he himself had achieved nirvana, so they called him the Buddha. He said he could not save anyone, but only point them in the direction to save themselves. Ultimately, in Buddhism, you function like your own savior. Your future and eternity depend on your good works outweighing your, or your good works outweighing your bad works. It depends on how successful you are on your quest for enlightenment. One of the most heartbreaking moments of the trip came during a dinner I had on the rooftop of a restaurant in Kathmandu, Nepal. I was introduced to a young woman whose missionary work focused on bringing awareness to an enormous human trafficking problem in Nepal. She is trying to enlighten the Nepali government about just how bad things are. 9,000 little girls, 9,000 little girls a year become sex slaves in Nepal. One thing this missionary told me shook me to the core. And I apologize for this, but we can't turn our eyes to truth like this. She said one of the things she discovered in her research that she's doing at a university there is that some Hindus, not all Hindus, but some Hindus believe that if a man has an STD, he has the right to buy a five-year-old girl. And it has to be a five-year-old girl because she is considered extra pure. And once they have, you fill in the blanks. The belief is he will be healed and cured from all his disease. Many of these girls will never go back to their homes because in their village they're considered damaged. And if they were to come back into the village, they believe that a curse would fall on the village. And so what happens to these infected five-year-olds? They end up being forced to work on the streets for much of their life. I want to tell you this. And I know we have a lot of guests today, but I want you to hear me, and I'll trust that God will just speak to you. It is from a place of profound ignorance, Western elitism, and our overly comfortable, convenient lives that some of us believe all religions are basically the same. Christian belief would never lead you to sexually enslave a five-year-old. During my trip, I was reminded of a story from the New Testament book of Acts that recounts the beginning of the church and, sp and the spread of Christianity in the first century. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul is in the city of Athens and he goes to a meeting of the Areopagus, which is where philosophers and thinkers exchange ideas. Listen to what the apostle Paul said to the thinkers and philosophers in the city of Athens. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you today. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temp temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, and they should inhabit the whole earth. 
And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are God's offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Can you believe it? He did it before Twitter and Facebook. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere, including in North Coventry, Pennsylvania, to repent. For he has set a day, God has set a day, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising this man, Jesus Christ, from the dead. I want you to know, Connection Church, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is still really good news for the nations. As I heard and I watched and I learned about the religions of the places I visited, I was overcome with the blazing reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is the Savior of the whole world. The gospel is good news for Buddhists and for Hindus. Jesus Christ died to save Nepalis and he died to save the Bhutanese and he died to save Canadians and he died to save Americans and he died to save Australians and he died to save the Chinese and he died to save the world. So, for any of us who believe that all religions are basically the same, or that as long as people are sincere and every, it's sincere, everything is going to work out in the end for them, I want to challenge you this morning with all the love and passion for God in my heart. Wake up! That is false. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. People are lost, and it's not loving. It is convenient, easy, and comfortable, but it is not loving, Connection Church, to ignore just how destructive and demonic false religion is. Jesus alone is the hope of the world. Yeah, you can clap. Number two. There is no plan B for reaching the world. The best part of my trip was getting to meet missionaries in both Nepal and Bhutan. I met two single women who were living on their own in Kathmandu. They both left good careers in nursing and criminal justice to pursue the call of God on their lives. I met a couple who has been working in Kathmandu for 13 years trying to spread the gospel. They were two of the kindest people I've ever met, and I invited them to come to Connection Church next year. You'll get to meet them. I got to have coffee in the home of one of the first known Christians in the history of Bhutan. He is currently working on translating the Old Testament into Zanka, which is the Bhutanese dialect. He has already finished the New Testament. Him and his wife shared with us how slow and difficult it has been for the message of Christ to go forward in Bhutan. Our team got to pray over this man and his wife. I knelt in their living room with our team and I put my hands on these two spiritual heroes and I was overcome with the tremendous privilege it is to be in the presence 
of spiritual heroes. It was amazing. But the meeting that impacted me the most was with a missionary family in Bhutan on Sunday afternoon with a couple named Sean and Mary. Those aren't their real names. I'm not going to say their real names for security reasons. Looking at Sean and Mary was like looking into a mirror. Sean and Mary are about the same age as my wife Cheryl and I. They also have four children who are almost the exact same ages as my kids. Their youngest is seven months. My youngest will be born at the end of June. And as we sat and we visited with Sean and Mary, I couldn't help but think how we are in the exact same stage of life as they are. They are facing many of the same challenges Cheryl and I are, but the only difference is they are doing it thousands of miles from their family and friends in a radically different culture. And in that moment, something I've known was clear to me in living color. This is the only way. Here's what I mean. If you believe like Sean and Mary and so many of us that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and that without faith in Christ, people will spend eternity separated from God, and if you take Jesus' command seriously to go into all the world and make disciples, then this is what needs to happen. God's people need to go to the nations. There is no plan B to reach the 42% of the world that hasn't heard the name of Jesus Christ. Plan A is the only plan. Go into all the nations and make disciples. Leave your homeland, leave your family, leave the comforts of the familiar, go to the unreached, learn the language, learn the culture, and slowly and methodically make Jesus Christ known. There is no plan B. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10. He says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who believes in Jesus will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentiles. Gentiles are all non-Jews. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is true today if you do not know Christ. Verse 14, how then, Paul asks, can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I know the vast majority of us, myself included, do not believe God is calling us to leave our homes and go live in a foreign nation to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. At no point on my journey to Bhutan and Nepal did I feel like God was saying, Joe, leave North Coventry, leave Lower Pottsgrove, leave Pottstown, and go and live among an unreached people. You're stuck with me. However, some of you may be called. 
Some of you may have a stirring in your heart to go to the nations, and I promise I will never try to convince you, coerce you, or manipulate you to do that. I will only ever encourage you to be obedient and go through the process of discerning whether that is what God is saying to you. But all of us, all of us who know Jesus Christ, we are called to send. Every follower of Jesus is called to participate in the sending of missionaries to the nations. That's exactly why Paul says in verse 15, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Spreading the gospel, hear this, hear this especially those of you who have a problem with churches asking for money. Hear my heart here. Spreading the gospel is a costly endeavor but it is also an incredibly worthy endeavor. I want you to know that giving to missions must not be something we do out of guilt, but rather something we do out of a deep love for humanity. Giving our tithe, that's 10% of our income, to the local church, and then above and beyond that, to sending missionaries is something done by so many in our Connection Church family. It's the reason Cheryl and I, we practice that. We give 10% of our income, and then we give another portion of our income to missions every month here. And every year, we try to give a little bit more as the Lord allows us. And I hope the reason you do it too, and I pray the reason you would consider it, is because you have a conviction that Jesus Christ died for the whole world, and that God longs to be reconciled to those who are far from him. Connection Church, we are never going to reach the whole world. That's a ridiculous vision. We're going to reach the whole world? No, we're not. But if every family was giving to the cause of Christ, I couldn't even begin to imagine how those resources could contribute to reaching our own community and sending missionaries out to reach the world for Jesus Christ. There is no plan B. There's only plan A. Some go, we all send. Good spot for an amen. I said that in the first service and no one amen after I said it. Thank you to those of you who agree. The seven of us will meet down here and we can celebrate that good truth. Third and final thing, and this is just meant to just encourage your socks off. If you're like, this message has been direct, welcome to Connection Church. I just want to bless you this morning with the word of God. I want you to hear this. Resurrection is a better word over your life than reincarnation. Resurrection is a better word for your future than reincarnation. One afternoon, our team went to the palace in Bhutan, where the royal family lives and where the governing officials meet to watch a ceremony. We went to watch the ceremony where the royal guard takes down the Bhutanese flag. It was real cool. Earlier that day, I had read an article in the Bhutanese newspaper by a monk who was trying to explain the concept of heaven and hell in Buddhism. The article was so stupid. It was poorly written, unclear, and unhelpful. I could not tell what Buddhists believe about the afterlife when I was done reading it. And this guy wrote a 1,500-word article. And just so you know, all of the things I read about Buddhism, here's what I really come to the conclusion. I don't even think Buddhists know what they believe. But there was one part of the article that I did understand, and I'm not that smart. The guy said this. He said, in Buddhism, there is no concept of punishment or reward, and there is no divine being who decides who goes to hell or heaven. Americans love that, except it's totally wrong. 
There is merely the illusory results of our thoughts, words, and deeds, which we call karma. Awesome. Do you want that kind of power over your life? You don't. Well, we were at the palace. I had a moment to have a quick conversation with our tour guide. He was a young man named Pema. I asked Pema the question, in Buddhism, what happens to you after you die? He said to me what I think so many people across the world believe. He said, at the end of your life, you hope you did more good things than big sins. So I said, being the kind, gentle person I am, what are the big sins in Buddhism? This was his response verbatim. Killing an animal. Sorry, Texas, you're out. Killing an animal or telling a lie. Hunters and liars, raise your hand because you're out. So not all of you hunt, but all of you have lied. And if your hand's not up, welcome, you have lied. (laughs) Rebirth or reincarnation in Buddhism refers to the teaching that your actions lead to a new existence after death. And you get into this cycle that is endless. And it's considered painful. You can only escape the cycle of rebirth or reincarnation if liberation is achieved by insight, some special knowledge, and extinguishing desire. Yeah, that's no human being ever. In Buddhism, you aren't necessarily reincarnated as another human being. You could also become a demigod, much like you saw in the film Moana. Or you could become a ghost, or a heavenly being, or you can be reincarnated as an animal. But I didn't bring this up this morning because I want you to know about a Buddhist view of the afterlife. I brought it up because I want every man, woman, and child in this room every guest, every regular attender, to know how much hope there is in Jesus Christ. Here is what Christians believe about what happens after you die. The Christian message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not if you do more good things in your life than bad things, you go to heaven. I promise that no matter how good you think you are, your sins have far outpaced your goodness. And if you don't think that's true, you're not being honest about how sinful you are. We may be good at not killing animals, but none of us have escaped the deceitfulness of pride and self-righteousness that creeps up in our hearts on any given day. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple, a child could understand it, and I don't need 1,500 words to explain it. Here's the gospel. You and I are sinful. We have done the wrong things, said the wrong things, thought the wrong things. Our sin has separated us from God. Sin also carries with it the penalty of death. So God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for your sin and mine and the sins of the whole world. And when he died on our behalf, Instead of you and I being punished for our sin, Jesus took our punishment. But not only did Jesus die for your sin, he rose from death to give you eternal life. Now, for those who will believe in Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, God will forgive you and he will adopt you into his family for all eternity. God does not accept us because of our goodness. He accepts us because of our faith. 
not works. He accepts you because of where your faith is, where your hope is, not how good you are or how good you've been. And I promise, you haven't been that good. And that means that when we die, though our bodies go into the ground, our souls, the immaterial part of who we are, will go and be with Jesus Christ in heaven. The Apostle Paul says this, to be absent from the body is to beware, present with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know something. Your body going to the ground and your soul going up to be with God after you die is not your ultimate destiny. Christians don't simply believe that we will live in a disembodied state forever. The ultimate hope for Christians is to experience resurrection from the dead, just like Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. Maybe you don't know that about Christian belief, but if you know Jesus Christ, we will have a funeral for you. Maybe it'll be here. We will stand by your grave, and we will pronounce that Jesus Christ, when he returns, you will rise. That's our hope. Let me read to, you, read to you about it in 1 Corinthians 15. This is a long passage of Scripture, and this is the end of my message. But if you're ever wondering what Christians believe about the end of time and the end of history, 1 Corinthians 15 is an awesome explanation of it. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead for if there is no resurrection, resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And then down in verse 51, Paul says this, but let me reveal to you, Connection Church, a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living when Jesus returns will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then 
when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God. Thank the creator of the universe. Thank the one who cares for every man, woman, and child across the earth. But thank God, who is king of Bhutan, who is king of Nepal, who is king of the United States of America. But thank that God who lives, who reigns, who loves, who sees, who is Lord of all, who knows you today by name, who knows the number of hairs on your head. Thank that God. He is for you, not against you. Thank him. But thank God. He gives you He gives us victory. We are a victorious people. Victory over what? Over our tough days and our bad jobs and our low bank accounts? No. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know this morning that Jesus Christ is the hope of the whole world. I spent a week watching a group of people who are phenomenally lost. And I just want you to know, there's tough things in my life. There are tough things in your life. And at the end of the day, you hit the pillow and you stare at your ceiling and you think about your circumstances and you think about your future. And I just want you to know, if you know Jesus Christ, it's not like all your problems go away. But when you see beyond your problems, what you see is your destiny. And your destiny is resurrection and eternity with Jesus Christ. Know the truth and it will set you free from your meaningless life. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. I need a nap now. Hey, some of you, your spiritual temperature this morning is lukewarm. You have no passion for Christ, but you're here. And I just want you to know today, how do you awaken passion in your soul? It's not by some big man yelling at you for a half an hour. It's by building your life on the truth. It's by embracing the truth for your whole life life. It's by getting your eyes off of yourself, off of your feelings, off of your circumstances. God cares about all of those things. He cares about you. He cares about your feelings. He cares about your circumstances. But the way to to raise the spiritual temperature of your life is to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Let us be a church that loves the world deeply. Let us be a church that stakes our life on the truth that our God lives.